Welcome back to episode 22 of the Punting Fantasy Podcast. Plenty to discuss on tonight's podcast. I cannot wait to rip into it. Tom, Mitch, how are we doing tonight, gentlemen? I'm just, I'm stealing some of your energy, but you, you're buzzing, mate, so I'll take some of that forward into the show. I'm excited. I'm good, thanks, Wet. I actually thought we should give a quick shout-out. forgot to do this last week, but some big news for a member of the Punting Fantasy community. Commissioner Schmidt uh, engaged the big fella. So congratulations to him. Um, that's all I had to say. Oh, other than that, Wed, I'm going I'm going well. How are you, mate? How are you how are you feeling right now, Sam? What have you been up to today? Yeah, no, really good. I was uh, I was ecstatic when I heard the news about the uh, the commissioner. Um, good on him. Never thought I'd see the day, but uh, well done to him and all the best for, for him and his uh, him and his future bride. Can't uh, can't wait to see where that leads. So all the best to him. <laughs> really <laughs> weird energy, Wet. We'll have to ask him when he's on the show um, which ring is more important, which one takes place, prior to place on his finger, the uh, engagement ring or the punting fantasy championship ring. Tom, I've actually got a question for you. Do you think Kendall talks more nicely to his fiancée than he does to you during trade negotiations? Fuck, I hope so. <laughs> Speaks to like he's a dirty shoe. <laughs> That's not even just during That's just most of the time. So hopefully. Plenty to discuss on tonight's podcast. Cannot wait to get into it. We'll uh, we'll kick off with our NBA discussion. Obviously, plenty coming up in and around the uh, the playoffs. Um, and as a result, the finishing up of the conference finals. Uh, we'll touch on a little bit of around the world uh, in around our discussion about any other sport that's going on outside of basketball. We'll uh, we'll touch base with the Rats Random Thoughts to finish off as well, which I cannot wait to get into. But uh, without further ado, let's get into it. Kicking off with our NBA discussion now, plenty's happened over the last week. Obviously, we uh, we spoke about our predictions probably on a podcast that we discussed that didn't get published. Um, but uh, obviously, we've got the uh, NBA Finals now with Golden State taking on the Boston Celtics. Um, we'll touch really quickly on the conclusion of the conference finals. And firstly, we'll, uh, we'll touch on the... Eastern Conference Finals. Now, Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat obviously fell short one game against the Celtics. Now, the conclusion of that Game 7, we saw Jimmy Butler obviously attempt to to take a shot that was a a be-all and end-all. 
Um, now, firstly, I'd like to discuss, gents, I guess, your discussion in around his decision to one, either make or break his final series uh, versus, I guess, going for the tie, taking the two and taking it into OT, which um, obviously he was looking pretty sharp for in uh, in that game. But, uh, gents, what did you make of that series? Um, I just think he was gassed, to be honest with you. 48 minutes for Jimmy. Um, logs through huge minutes down the stretch of that series. Um, I think you would have liked to see him take it to the bucket, but, I mean, he's your best player, so... Living by the, by the you live and die by the decisions that he makes. So um, you know I'm fine with it. It is what it is. Had it gone down, it'd be a different story. So um, unfortunate because it, it was a pretty good run to come back and and um you know almost almost off the Celtics there. But it is what it is. Unfortunately, so into the off season now for the Heat. Yeah, I'm happy with that analysis. I think ideally, as a coach, you probably want him to take it to the hoop, but I think he earned the he earned the right to. Yeah, take the shot that make made or break their season. So, good on him. I think just to close off on that game, I loved the re- reaction from Udonis Haslam walking <laughs> walking back to the change room. He's he, he is absolutely filthy as if he's played forty plus minutes of that game. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. I don't know what you guys took away from it. I did enjoy like hanging his head and then like looking up to the heavens. I, I, it's such a weird, he, like that's a weird dynamic, isn't it? Just like this forty-year-old bloke just hanging around because he's a legend. Obviously, he must just be a ripping bloke. I think that's all you can take away from it, really. I, I did enjoy. I did. There wasn't enough talk about you know after the game six win that they had in Boston and they're going thanks Draymond. There wasn't enough chat back when they lost the game seven. I'm surprised Draymond didn't have anything to say, actually, because he's normally a pretty outspoken guy. But, yeah, wet. Great moment. UD. Filthy. Yeah, no, that was a good watch. But, um, yeah, best of luck to, to the Heat during the offseason. Can't wait to see uh, see Boston take out the uh, NBA Finals. We'll uh, we'll go through our NBA Finals preview and predictions. Now, gents, obviously you blokes are the uh, the experts. I'm, uh, I'm much of a nuffy, but uh, can't wait to get into it. Mitch, what are you looking forward to um, and what is your prediction for the, uh, the NBA Finals? Tom's going to be the first to give his analysis, Sam. I'm just... Can you just explain to the listener the day you've had, Sam, just to provide a little bit of understanding around your confusing comments or just haziness today? I've had a great day. I mean, not uh, not really too much to ex- to assess. Um, I've uh, recently been unemployed for the last month. Managed to get a interview with with a company that um, that hates beer. So enjoyed enjoyed a couple of um, a couple of cold ones during the day. Um, so if there's any little haziness or confusion in around what's going to be discussed tonight, um, we can blame that to the the lemonades that I've enjoyed during the day. Tom, what are you what, right. what are your options? I know you've got a list. Can we just try and keep this under yeah, fifteen I'm minutes? Keen, I'm keen to see what you guys have got to say about this. Um, obviously, a really tough. One to predict, and if you go through the stats, pretty even. We obviously know Boston were the best defense uh, season long. Golden State were behind them; they were second, um, and the offense for, for them is sort of middle of the pack. I think that spoke more to the ins and outs they had through the regular season as opposed to the actual talent on the offensive end. Um, Boston also around that middle of the pack, sort of top half of the league. 
I think there's definitely a distinct rest advantage for the Warriors going into this one. Obviously, they've had um, a much, much less turbulent path, I guess, coming into the, to the series. They've had a few more days off here leading into Game 1. Haven't got to make the trip across the country for Game 1 either. Um, and if you look through the playoff, through the total minutes tally, there is, I believe, five Celtics in the top 12 um, as opposed to one Warrior, which is just Clay Thompson. Um, so I think that speaks to sort of the paths the two teams have taken um, here. And I mean, the health is going to be a massive thing. I think the Celtics look pretty gassed at times against Milwaukee and against Miami. So I think if they're, I mean, they're a young team. I just hope that this three days has been enough. And obviously through the series, there's two days between every single game except games three and four. So I think there is enough time in there for them to sort of, you know, keep rested or rested enough, um, not time to get some rest into guys like Marcus Smart and Rob Williams, who I think are going to be really, really important um, if the Celtics are going to win this series. But I just wanted to go back through, as I said, I'm keen to get your guys' takes on this. I wanted to go back through the playoffs because um, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the Warriors' offense against the Celtics' defense. That's the battle. That's the key battle that I'm looking at to decide this series. So I just wanted to go back and look through how the Warriors have won their series because they're obviously quite a malleable offense. Um, they can they can kind of bend and um, you know conform to the weaknesses of the of the opposition that they're playing against. Against Denver, um, we saw they're pretty solid. He's a pretty solid team defender. Um, but you can expose him in space because of his lack of foot speed, which the Warriors did. Um, they looked to make him work on defense to tire him out, and it got him away from the bucket. Um, you've also got guys like Monty Morris and Will Barton, not not massive guys, not sort of super quick, not really good at fighting through screens. As a result. Steph, 40% from deep, nine attempts a game. Clay, 46% from deep, 10 attempts per game. Poole, 48% uh, from deep on six attempts. And Wiggins, 54% on two and a half attempts a game. The result was uh, obviously 118 points a night in that series and in a five-game series win. Moving on to Memphis, um, obviously you've got an all-defensive presence there in Jaron Jackson, who's very capable of switching, um, not to mention bigger guys like Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, younger, bigger, stronger, much more capable of playing solid team defense um, and switching. Um, as a result of that, the Warriors, the key Warriors, Steph, 33% on from three on 11 attempts, Clay, 36% on nine attempts, Jordan Poole, 32% on six attempts, and Wiggins, 33% on five attempts. Um, so the result there, obviously, with much more bigger, switchier off uh, defense, 111 points per game. However, Adams, in the, in the name of being switchy, Adams didn't really see the floor a whole lot, only played in four games. One of them, he played like two minutes, I think, at the start of the game. Um, and so the Warriors absolutely dominated the Grizzlies on the glass, and they were able to attack Jar in sort of um, pick and roll, two-man action as a get-out last resort kind of option. Um, and so as a result, they averaged 91 shots a game in that series as opposed to the 81 versus Denver. Against Dallas, the key Warriors, they, were, they had a pretty good series. 44% on eight attempts for Steph, 38% on eight attempts for Clay, Poole, 40% on four attempts, Wiggins, 29% on six attempts. Switchiness, I think, allowed the Mavs to restrict the Warriors' attempts, um, didn't necessarily keep the percentages down, um, but the lack of any real interior presence meant the Warriors were able to work their way inside. They shot a playoff high, 60% on two-pointers um, on a playoff high, 53 two-point attempts per game. They smashed Dallas on the glass. So I think, like, I don't know what you guys reckon, but there's, there's been a distinct disadvantage um, sort of that each in each series. As the series has gone on, the Warriors have really been able to sort of dominate that particular advantage. Do you think the Celtics have got that weakness for the Warriors to to find? No, but I think the Celtics' defence have had to play against Giannis, who is primarily a bulldozer. 
Jimmy Butler probably in a similar mould, just to patch the rim, puts a lot of pressure on you. They haven't come across a team yet that's had three or four guys that can light you up for 30. Yeah, it's, it's a good point, that, because the Warriors lead all playoff offences in scoring off cuts, percentage of scoring um, or shots off cuts and off all screens. So they're going to make the Celtics work off ball. They've made everyone work off ball. It's how they put Luger in action, how they put Brun- uh, Brunson in action, how they put Jar in action, same with Jokic, was by working guys off the ball. Um, I just think the Celt- like the switchiness of the Celtics, like they're the most switch-heavy team in the entire NBA. I think the Warriors haven't seen this and they haven't seen this length. Um, so I just don't know if there's that weakness for them there to attack. I think that's something that the Celtics really have to key in on. They've got five guys. There's not one weakness there for them to attack. Um, and you've got a guy like like Williams who is an elite rim protector, um, but is also not going to get beat up um, on the glass or, you know, can switch out to the perimeter if need be. Can I I actually disagree, Tom. I actually think the key battle is going to be the Celtics offense versus the Warriors defense because I actually think to an extent, I think the Warriors' offense is going to be good regardless. They've been there, done that. They've seen a lot of coverages. They'll get it done. The Celtics' defense is unreal. I actually think they'll cancel each other out. I think it's more important that the Celtics try and keep up with the Warriors scoring. I think that's where the key in the series is. I don't think the Celtics' offense is good enough. I just see a clear rest advantage. I see a team that's core has won three championships. I see a young, experienced, tired Boston team. Um, I just think experience will prevail. But I actually, it could be one of those situations, like the old adage, you've got to lose one to win one. And I think the Celtics could come out the other side a much better team. But I think, I just think the Warriors are too healthy, too rested, and I think experience will prevail. So I'm going to go Celtics. Uh, Celtics, I'm going to go Warriors. Warriors in six. You're right about the rest. I think the rest is a massive factor. If the Celtics come out and they look tired, I think it's probably going to the you know Warriors wrap things up pretty quick. Um, but I just think on the defensive end, like Kerr's a genius, and the Warriors have been able to mix and match their offense to to find holes in the opposition defense time and time again. But they haven't seen a defense like this, and there is no weakness there for the, for Boston. Um, the outside of you know Peyton Pritchard is the only one. That you can really attack, and I doubt he'll see much of the floor in this in this series. Um, Warriors are pretty turnover prone when they want to be. They don't like length, um, which is what the Celtics have got in abundance. Um, if the Celtics can get out in transition, I like their offense to sort of keep it up enough. They've got to get they've got to force turnovers, but they've got to get out in transition, which they can do. They've done it throughout the regular season, and the Celtics, uh, the Warriors have turned the ball over, um, you know, plenty of times. So it's a few things that got to go the Celtics' way. Um, but at the end of the day, I just like them. I like the way they've played up to this point in the season a bit more, um, and I like them. If they're rested and if they look healthy, I like them going into this series. Obviously, that hinges a lot on Smart and Williams and what they look like. Um, but if they're health, healthy and rested, I like the Celtics in six. Sam, thoughts? Yeah, and no, I, I couldn't agree more with, I guess, the uh, sentiments that you had to say, Mitch. But I think, personally, um, the way that I see it is that the Boston defense versus the Golden State offense, I feel like they're gonna outdo them in that sense. Um, I'll be taking I'll be taking Boston in seven, like I did in their previous series, but can quite easily see it going the Warriors way, given what Boston has had to endure or endure over the um, over the final or the, over the playoff series. Um, they've obviously had a massive series against <coughs> against uh, Milwaukee. 
um, as well as I know they I know they swept Brooklyn, but that was obviously still a pretty heavy series as well. Um, but really keen personally to see what uh, what they can do against the Warriors, and and personally think they can uh, they can do a job on a job on the Warriors. And you know what, like it's also worth mentioning. I feel like it's not being mentioned enough. You hear about the Warriors and how much of a like an easy trot they've had in. The Celtics have played the Bucks. They played, sorry, they played the Nets with no Simmons, but I mean that's not that's pretty much a non-factor. They played uh, the Bucks without Middleton, got taken to seven, and then they also played Miami without Hero. Butler was what on one leg for a couple of games. Lowry was shit. Like while the games have been physical, they've had some they've had some major things break their way. Warriors, I see a team that hasn't lost at home this postseason. Um, Boston have really struggled on their home court. That, to me, reeks of experience. Like, that's that's what this is. And I think the Warriors are too good of a team to let, let the Celtics get away with losing two home games like they have every series. So the numbers are flashy, Tom. And if they win, I'll give you props, but... Well, I think like the numbers are the numbers. Like I think it's been the same blueprint against the Warriors. You you know restrict the the volume for their for their main guys. You make guys like Wiggins and stuff shoot a bit more. You look to win on the glass. I mean the last couple of series they have really they really dominated the glass, and that's been how they've you know second chance points has kept them alive when the the threes haven't been dropping against those switchier teams. So there's a couple of really clear areas that Celtics have to win. Um, that's you know that's what the numbers point out. There's a couple of really clear areas there, but. I think there's a there's a lot of factors that sort of hinge on whether they can do that. Health, obviously, being the biggest one, and rest, I think, is definitely the main sort of thing there. So, um, should be a, should be a really exciting series to watch. I think um, I'm really excited to to watch it, um, and hopefully the Celtics coming out look looking you know rested and healthy for the sake of my sports bet account. So, beauty. So for Wetton, we've got Boston in seven. Mitch, we've got Warriors in six. And, Tom, we have Celtics in six. Beautiful. So can't wait to see how that ends up. We will discuss the top ten players in the league after the postseason. Now, gents, obviously you've had a fair bit of an eye over the uh, over the recent games, recent matches. Now, gents, who would you probably kick off uh, as a top ten ranking? Tom, would you like to go one for one here and we'll – just see how we go. If we've got it in a different order, we'll have a quick discussion and move on. Yeah, you go first. First pick, obvious, Giannis. Yep, I had Giannis one. I got Jokic at two. Yeah, I've got Luca at two. Um, I don't think I really need to. Have you got Luca at three? No. Oh, okay. I had Jokic at three. I had Kevin Durant at three. Yeah. So, yeah, I had Jokic at three. Uh, at four, I've actually got LeBron. At four, I've got someone who we haven't seen this season, um, Kawhi Leonard, when fully fit. You've still got him at four. I mean, he's a guy that's won a championship as the best player on, you know, multiple yeah. different teams. So I think when he's healthy, he's a he's an absolute game changer. I will just say the two guys who are probably top ten players when fit, I have just got them nine and ten just because... I haven't seen him, so but I am still acknowledging them as top ten players by putting him in the back end. Um, so at five I had Durant. Five I had Luka Doncic. 
Yeah, so does it, we've got the same... Or you've got Kawhi instead of LeBron. Yeah, that's the only difference so far. Yeah, okay, so at six, I've got Steph. Six, I have Joel Embiid. Did you have Steph at seven? No, I did not. Wow. Okay, I had Embiid at seven. I had LeBron at seven. Okay. So as of right now, we've both got seven. We've got the same except for uh, Kawhi and um, Steph. Steph. Yeah. Okay. At eight, I have Jason Tatum. At eight, I got Steph Curry. Yeah. Um, and then, as I said before, I round off nine and ten with Kawhi and Dame. Nine, Dame, ten, Jason Tatum. Yeah. So we've got the same. We've got the same list in a different order. Yeah, I feel like the ten are pretty. Like, I mean, I can imagine a lot of people chucking Jimmy Butler up, the, up there after the postseason he's had, but I mean. It is what it is with him. Like he misses a bunch of time, and he really is a different player come the postseason. Um, he really turns it on. So, in terms of all around NBA sort of career, I wouldn't have him in there. I think the ten are pretty self-explanatory. Like you said, I think it's just the um the order you, you put him in. Hey, J- Jimmy Butler, in my opinion, isn't in the top twelve. I'd probably have him pretty soon after this ten. I reckon he'd be I'd my have Chris Paul and Anthony Davis before I have. Jimmy Butler, in my opinion. I think I've probably got – I'm probably looking at, yeah, Butler, Davis, Booker, and Paul as my next four. If I'm, I might be forgetting someone there. That's probably the next four in some sort of order. So you would take you would take Booker before Paul? I think it's toss-up. That, to me, is ridiculous. I think Paul, Chris Paul's, like, going to be 37.5 at the start of next season, like – yeah, he's a phenomenal player, but I think Booker is at that level now where he gives you... Uh, well, personally, I need to see it with Booker before I put him up there. He was a 30-win guy. He was a numbers-on-a-bad-team guy before Chris Paul came and yeah, I mean, rescued well, yeah, that franchise. He's developed a fair bit since then. I think I think Paul's done wonders for him. I think they're I think they're much of a muchness, him and Chris Paul. I think they're probably pretty close in terms of the player rankings. Fair enough. Beautiful, great discussion in and around the uh, NBA chat. Into our around the world chat now, plenty to discuss in this segment, but we'll kick off with our NRL chat, plenty of saga in and around Payne Haas. Now, uh, from my understanding, he's asked for a release from the Broncos, uh, but he's contracted until the end of 2024. Now, Mitch, obviously you're our NRL guru. Um, keen to discuss, I guess, what this looks like for the Broncos, but I guess what this looks like for Payne as an individual. Um, we know we saw during the last round uh, plenty of booze um, anytime he went even near the football. But uh, I guess what does this look like for him as an NRL individual? Less about the NRL, Sam, and more about... Uh like a sports management, just like I really hard to wrap my head around this one. Payne Haas, a bloke who in the last three years has uh, family got into a brawl at a junior footy game. He's threatened and abused a female police officer, uh, punched his teammate because he stepped on his brand new white sneakers. Like good rap sheet there for the last three years, in my opinion. Um, 
his contract this year was upgraded for the next three years um, or two or three years, whatever it is, to 850K. Him and his management have come out saying that he wants a million. Now, I did some research today. Players on a million dollars, there's seven of them, three fullbacks, two halfbacks, one five-eight, and David Fafita. Now, any club would look at the David Fafita contract and see that the stranglehold that that contract has put the Titans in and just say to themselves, why would we offer a Ford a million dollars a year? And to be fair, he's a gun, but I think, like, the timing of it before Origin, I think this was all planned, and it's complete bullshit. I, in my opinion, 150 grand, which is what this dispute is over, is worth, like, Tom, the poor club publicity that him doing all that shit, like, abusing police officers, punching his own teammates. To me, that is worth 150k off your contract just because of the bad publicity, the bad team chemistry, all that. Yeah, but I think with him it's more like, I think, I don't know, I don't know him, but it seems like he seems very entitled. Like It seems like he's a pretty good forward in the NRL, so he should just be entitled to a million bucks. That's just how he, that's what he's worth for his football value. And, I mean, he seems like a twit. Um, he seems like the kind of bloke that, when you're playing touch at school, his team started losing, take his ball home with him. Um, nah, yeah, I've, like I agree with you, Mitch. I haven't really got much else to add. I think he seems like an absolute clown. Um, I'd be getting him as far away from my football club as possible, although I, don't, I know nothing about football, but, you know. I think he's tried He's it, he's tried it as a leverage tactic, I think. Yeah, that's what, that's what it seems like. And once he's, once he's seen that it didn't work, and he got booed. And he didn't like getting booed. It was actually quite upsetting for him. But he's backflipped today and said that he wants to be a Bronco long-term. Just fuck off, mate. Take his footy, or home he goes. <laughs> um, Sam, you look like you've got something to say. Oh, I just love the fact that touch footy in the school playground, <laughs> as soon as a try scored against him. He grabs his football and he goes home. That's a great analogy from Tom. Yeah, Mitch, obviously, as we mentioned before, um, in and around the, the Origin squads, um, you had a go last week in trying to predict um, or guess, I guess, what your Origin squads would look like or Origin teams would look like for Origin 1. Now, before I hand it over to you, we'd just like a really quick estimate or, I guess, confirmation on what your teams look like, what you might have gotten wrong, and two, potentially some surprises that might have come out of those Origin squads that have been named um, over the last couple of days. Now, give us a rundown of how you just went. Um, so as I go through the teams, I got the Queensland backline, so 1-7, to seven, correct. Uh, Tino at 8, correct. Harry Grant I had at 9. He's been named at 14. You've undersold your mate Ben Hunt. Yeah, then Ben Hunt. So I had Ben Hunt at 14 and Harry Grant at 9, and they've done a swapsy there. So Dragons. happy to count that as a win. I had Patrick Carrigan starting at prop. He's going to come off the bench. Capewell Kafusi, correct. Jai Arrow, who I had at, thir- uh, at 13, really surprised to see him not get picked, but um, he's 19th man. Uh, the only one on Queensland that I had a shocker with was Francis Molo. Um, he didn't get named in the squad at all, and I had him coming off the bench. 
Uh, Ruben Cotter, I had him off the bench. He's going to start at 13. And Josh Papali, I had off the bench. He's going to start at prop. So Queensland side, pretty good. I had one bloke in the squad. Um, one bloke not in the squad at all, and then a few guys in the wrong position. No real, um, no real surprises there. Probably other than Grant at fourteen, um, but I suppose they're going to bring him on for his running game around the fiftieth minute, which I must admit I'm a little worried this year. But um, onto the New South Wales team, there's definitely more surprises here. So I had Tedesco, yes, Toto, yes. Stags and Whiten. Whiten was my roughie um, to play in the centres, and I got him. But Ado Carr, not playing this year. Really weird. Um, I think they're, I think Freddie's really worried about Coates and Cobbo on the wing. Obviously, I think they're six foot six kind of builds, like monsters and can jump. So, but. Really confusing to me. Ado Carr obviously has played the last four Origin series and hasn't let the state down once. I would have thought there'd be a little more loyalty there, but I reckon Ado Carr's really regretting going to the Bulldogs this year. But anyway, um, Cleary, Luai, yes. Haas, Cook, yes. Regan Campbell-Gillard, I had to start. He's going to come off the bench. Liam Martin, I had to start in the second row. He's going to come off the bench. Tyson Frizzell is in the squad but won't play. I had him at 12. Isaiah Yo, yes. I had Nico Hines at 14. This is the other big call. Um, Nico Hines is 18th man. And Stephen Crichton, who, I mean, is a specialty centre and can play some fullback, is going to play 14, which is bizarre. Um, a guy like Nico Hines or Whiten, like, Whiten can play fullback, wing, centre. 5'8 is his position, and then he could play a pinch of halfback, and then he could probably play 13 as well. And you've, you're have you covering maybe three positions, wing, centre, and fullback with Crichton. So I'm actually suspecting that Freddie, halfway through the game, is going to put Crichton in and play him in the centres. And then I think Whiten's going to move into a centre of the field, foot speed, try and break the game open through the middle. That would be my guess. Um, Tom Trebojevic, uh, sorry, not Tom, Jake Trebojevic didn't make the squad. Massive surprise. Had him on the bench. Uh, Paulo, who I had on the bench, is going to start instead of Campbell Gillard. And then I <laughs> I had Daniel Saifidi. Um, he didn't make the squad, but his twin brother did. <laughs> so had the wrong Saifidi. But um, other than that, some really weird. Tarek Sims, who plays for the Dragons, is is he's terrible um but i suppose it's just weird because that seems to me like a loyalty thing like he played well last year so he's given another go but Adokar and jake trebojevic who played really well last year haven't gotten another go so yeah it's a bit confusing and i've got to admit after seeing the team on paper i thought it was going to look a lot better than what it is um I think New South Wales probably get game one because it's in Sydney, but oh, Queensland at a series bet at $2.40, I don't think is terrible value here at all. So, yeah, anyway, that was how I went. I mean, nearly nailed the Queensland side and New South Wales, I think, had selections that surprised everyone, not just me. So, 
do you guys have anything to add there? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, you know a lot more about Origin than we do. Um, obviously, maybe a, a diehard Queensland fan who knows one and a half Queensland players. Um, can't wait to see them win the series. But Tom, have you have you got really much to add in around uh, your prediction of, of who's going to get up apart from a little heart bet on on Queensland? Yeah, no, as you said, Sam, I'm not the most qualified uh, to to comment on this. So go the Maroons. That's all I got to say. Yeah, can't wait to see how they uh, how they line up with each other. Continuing on with our Around the World chat now, just a really quick topic in around uh, the world of golf. Um, there's obviously been plenty of contention slash discussion in around the Saudi Rebel League, um, and I'm not sure of how many people have uh, <coughs> have paid too much attention in around what that, that league sort of looks like, but uh, we've recently just come to light that Dustin Johnson's going to light, light up that league as well. Um, now, there's pretty... There's some pretty significant names that are going around and, and playing that league, especially off the back of, like I said before, some contention about um, how the league is going to be operated, how the winnings are going to be operated, um, and I guess the uh, the entry pools into that. Now, gents, not sure if you have had too much knowledge on on the topic, but um, I guess what have you made of of the names that have have one, I guess, <laughs> bought into the league, but uh, but two, what it's going to look like as a as a whole. I definitely didn't expect it to, like, I think there was always a bit of traction. Yeah, like, we've talked a bit about it before. It's a bit of an unknown. I sort of expected that it would almost be, like, they'd get, like, a few fringe guys in and then maybe it would grow if it took off or it would just fizzle out and, and die. But I definitely didn't expect to see, like, the field that we've got. Like, obviously, Dustin Johnson's a massive name in world golf, um, but he's not the only one that you've got, from, like, who's won PJ titles before, I think. Um, Kevin Nah is in there, Sergio Garcia, um, I think Lee Westwood is playing. There's a few others I'm forgetting. I just saw an article today on, on the sort of the headline names in the field. Um, but there's definitely a few guys, you know, who've been in and around the PGA Tour for a long time, which I definitely didn't expect. So you have to wonder if it, you know, if it that's shocked the PGA a little bit maybe. Obviously, they said they were going to look at, at banning guys who, who took part. So... Yeah, I think it's a it's a bit of watch this space and see what happens. Um, pretty inter- interesting development, I think. Yeah, I certainly agree, Tom. I mean, we've obviously got those plenty of names that have uh, that have signed up to the league, and like you said, it's going to be a watch this space. But I mean, we've got four Australians even be involved in the league. Um, I think there's forty eight names that have uh, that joined up. But uh, yeah, can't wait to see how that sort of comes out. And I guess the repercussions of what that sort of looks like on a um, on a PGA Tour scale, we'll, uh, we will touch a little bit on the AFL now. Like we have discussed over the last couple of weeks, there's been plenty in around, sorry, the the mediocrity of the, the middle of the season as it is in both AFL and NRL. Um, the latter obviously taking shape. Uh, we've seen Essendon um, perform a internal review. Um, and I guess for, for me, what that sort of looks like is just, it just reeks of a football club that doesn't know where it's going, doesn't know where it's at, um, and is just really struggling to, to not only find wins on the board, um, but also, I guess, any positives to come out of what is happening at the Essendon Football Club now. Uh, Mitch, I know you have plenty to discuss about this, but uh, I'll let you chime in now. Um, no, I am obviously not the expert here, but I just want to ask you guys, going into the season, what do you guys think Essendon's 
you know, season goals would have been, was it just to make the finals or was it to actually give the comp a shake? I would have said at the start of the season, Essendon making the eight would have been like the best case scenario for them. Um, I think we talked about it a bit maybe a few weeks back, maybe um, with Kev, but yeah, like I don't think they were, I don't think they should have been expecting to set the world on fire. Um, I've, I think, you know, Middle of the pack team at best. They've had a few guys not playing very well. Obviously, Shields, a lot's been made of his form. Um, Zach Merritt's another one. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, Sam, I think it's like almost like a scapegoat kind of thing. It's just like, all right, well, things aren't going well, so let's have an internal review for the next – that'll sort of keep the, the media hands away for the next, you know, five to six weeks, and then hopefully things can improve by then. If not, we'll have to pass the blame on to someone else. That's when they start looking at, you know, the coaching staff. Um you know, your top-line players, your, your management and whatnot. So, yeah, it's just kicking the can further down the road, like you said, wet. Um, so they're having a terrible year and they're not the only ones. So, yeah, is what it is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Tom. I think you've uh, you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, I mean, it's, it's disappointing. I know one of the, the discussions I think we had earlier on in the year that Essendon were probably in and around that, that 8 to 12 spot, but obviously sitting around that... I guess 14 or 16 spot, it's it's a little bit disappointing for, for any football club, really, but for a, for a Bombers side that, like you said, Tom, you, you named a couple of guys in, in and around Dylan Shield, who has obviously been struggling for form. Um, Zach Merritt, who really should be one of the top probably dozen players of the competition who's who's really not living up to that scale. But um, I really hope things start to, to look up for Essendon. But um, at the moment, really just uh, just doesn't look like um, it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, I know the the story came out during the week or during last week in and around Luke Parker um, and his taunt of the of Dylan Shield in the, in the Sydney Essendon game. Um, I know the club would have been embarrassed by by that taunt, but um, yeah, it's disappointing for for a football club that's uh, lived and breathed off so much success over the, I guess the last 10 20 years but um, yeah hope hope that they uh, hope they start to progress Mitch, take the tennis chief yeah earlier today obviously it's been pretty clear that we're an anti novak podcast here um, just pretty much around how the guy carries himself as well as the whole problem with his visa at the start of this year for the uh, Australian Open but uh, Rafa Another win for the good guys. They're holding, they're holding Novak off for this uh, Grand Slam record. Um, yeah, Rafa, the king of clay, uh, beat the Joker in four game uh, in four sets today um, in a quarterfinal clash. So, is to hoping that Rafa can go on with it and extend his lead to two Grand Slams, I believe. So. I mean, at this point, I don't know about you guys, but I'm just cheering on. I think Federer was probably my favourite of the big three. Um, but at this point, I'm cheering on Rafa just to hopefully win enough to hold Novak from eventually getting there, which probably a year ago seemed inevitable. But it seems like um, obviously a lot of disruption and he doesn't seem to be playing his best tennis, but... Are we all are we all on that same boat? I think so. It's good, to, good to see one for the good guys. So yeah, so hopefully you can go on with it. I think he's got. I'm just having a quick look. Um, 
That wasn't even the quarterfinals, was it? That, that game between him and Novak, Rafa and Novak. Maybe it was the quarterfinals. I, th- I feel like there's still a few rounds left in the tournament. Like it's not that deep yet. No, uh, it's today was the quarterfinal. He's got Zverev in the semi. Um, and if I just have a quick look at who's on the other side of the draw. I mean, I haven't got too much to say in this space, but good luck beating Rafa on clay. Yeah, it's pretty tough, isn't it? He's um that's probably I'm not sure about like if there's ever been dominance like Rafa has dominated on clay in world sport ever. Um yeah, it's pretty crazy. But Aussie cricket team under Ponting. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just looking. Rafa will have to so he has to beat Zverev, obviously, who's the third seed. And then other than that, on the other side of the draw, we've got a seven seed, a 20 seed, and the eight seed, and then an unseeded bloke. So hopefully he beats Zverev and can go on with it. He's the job. Yeah, exactly. And that wraps up our Around the World segment now. A fan favourite, a wetting favourite. Thoughts. Sometimes I just can't control my thoughts. The rat's random thoughts. Cannot wait to get into it. Mitch, on to you, mate. This actually comes off the back of uh, our talks about Rafa, Federer and Djokovic. Just want to have a quick little discussion about who we think has had the unluckiest sporting career. Now, you can probably look at it in a lot of different ways. Um, unlucky could mean injuries or underperforming. But I'm going to take Andy Murray. He made 21. So he advanced to the semifinals or further 21 times. He obviously won one Grand Slam. And he bowed out in the, in the semi or the final all but two times to one of Djokovic, Federer, or Nadal. So probably, you know, the fourth best at a really unfortunate time. Um, won one Grand Slam and lost 18 times, that would be, to one of the big three in either a semi-final or a final. So, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm taking that path, just a really talented guy who came, who was just there at the wrong place at the wrong time. Obviously, you can go a lot of different ways with this question. I'll, which one of you guys is more confident to answer this question with no time to think? I can think of a couple of basketball plays off the top of my head. Um, a couple of blazers come to mind. Greg Oden and Brandon Roy. You guys who look like surefire stars until the bodies gave up on them. Um, can I suggest one, Tom? Yeah. What about Brendan Knight? Brendan Knight, like this is for a much different reason, but he was actually a decent NBA player. Brendan Knight is probably on yeah, really bad lowlights. Yeah. yeah. Top 10 of like the most disrespectful plays in NBA history. He's probably there three times as well as missing – a fast break. Yeah, um, he steal and missed a fast break layup to win the game. Yeah. It was against maybe Brooklyn, maybe? I, don't know, I can't remember. But, yeah, that's that always comes to mind for me, that one. The Kyrie crossover in the rookie game. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. DeAndre Jordan alley-oop dunk. 
on Brendan Knight. Probably it's got to be close to the nastiest dunk ever, that dunk. Yeah. Um, yeah, just like a good guy who just had some really unfortunate moments. He was actually weirdly one of the first guys that come to mind. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, trying to think if one's out, outside of basketball. Sam, have you got one? Well, we haven't got one specifically, but I mean, I know in terms of basketball, Yao Ming, who obviously copped a lot of ankle injuries in, in and around that space. Um, he was probably unlucky not to, to go on. Um, really, really unfortunate career, Sam. Capped off with a Hall of Fame appearance. So <laughs> really tough for Yao Ming. Um, I, get where you're from, I get where you're coming from. He, like, he, was, like, he could have been better than he was. He was still very good, but yeah, he had a lot of injuries. What about um, Will Pukowski? Oh, yeah. That's not a bad one. Like, ridiculous. It's, it's probably, it's, Tommy, it's interesting when you bring up, it's probably hard to pick given the fact that he's still, what, 22, 23 yeah. years old. Yeah, good point. Um, but, yeah, like you said. Um, like, Sam, even that, he, how many tests could Pukowski have played by now? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, no, you're right. I can't help but feel for, for Chris Paul not having won a ring. Um, I love that bloke. Um, but yeah, he, he, he's another one that sort of springs to mind. There's not, it's not really too many to that that jump out at me. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I'm going to piggyback off that. Obviously, that's a pretty negative take. I'm just going to go your personal favorite sporting moments of all time. Now, it doesn't have to be, you know. I feel like there's a universal list of like some of the great moments ever, but one that's really resonated with you for your you and your life i'll i'll go first i've the 2010 grand final the drags jamie soward a man i'll never forget i could have alzheimer's when i'm older and i'll still remember jamie soward i reckon um, easily the best day or sporting like day that involves sporting in my life easily tom you look like it looked like something came straight to your mind yeah yeah so the first 2k I ever had was nba 2k 13 and you had to play the rookie showcase, to, like to get in the draft. And I was like, my player was always a point guard, so you had to go up against Dane. And I used to hate him because he used to he used to make me look like a fool. My draft stock would go down because it was the first time I ever played two K. And so I remember watching the draft that year and seeing the Blazers take Dane at six, and I was like, he's really good by two K. That was sort of the start of following basketball for me. Um, and so I would have to say the Blazers taking game. That's lots of lots of memories for me. A um, couple of really, really massive playoff moments. Um, lots of lots of awesome moments from him as a as a Blazers fan, just in regular season games. You know, massive performances and game winners. And he's definitely been he's my favorite, my all time favorite sports person. So that's that's definitely something that resonates with me. I think. Sam, would you would yours be the lines going missing in every prelim final ever? <laughs> I think the most upsetting moment might have been that. Um, Brisbane losing to the Commissioner's Western Bulldogs uh, in the elimination final in 2021. That that hurt me deeply. But I think in terms of sporting moments, I know Ash McGrath, Miracle on Grass, Brisbane versus Geelong, I was there live. That... Um, that was certainly a ripper moment, but I think in terms of 
of sporting moments, whether it's positive or negative, um, and I didn't live this one live or was alive during it, but Larry Myers knocking off Greg Norman at the uh, the US Masters uh, in a playoff, that, um, that certainly still hurts, but I know I watched off the back of that and this is leading into off the back of that leading into my probably favourite sporting moment that I did witness was Adam Scott winning a Masters um, in 2010, I believe it was, uh, beating Angel Cabrera in a uh, in a playoff of the Masters. That um, nailing that part on a Monday morning that was uh, that was magnificent. Stayed up for that game or stayed up for that uh, that round. Um, and yeah, no, that was pretty special to to witness an Aussie. And the first Aussie to, to win a Masters, so that was that. That's probably my one. Yeah, very good. I've got two more. I've got four for us this week, both. Um, just some funny stuff that I've observed other drivers doing this week. Um, first one, a bloke taking a phone call with phone up to his ear, driving. <laughs> I think it's just a really bold, bold move. Um, <coughs> I've never seen that before, but anyway, the other one, um, I feel like I often see, like, girls doing makeup at traffic lights and stuff in their, um, you know, the mirror on the visor, I suppose you'd call it, but this one, a bloke having a shave this week. <laughs> now, it's one of those portable, he's got one of those, like, Manscaped, you know, uh, electric clippers Shaving his beard in the car. Now, I've got two issues with this. Like, <laughs> first one, why are you driving your car and shaving at the same time? That's an issue in itself. Secondly, <laughs> where's the hair going? All through the car, right? Onto him. <laughs> Onto him. That's where it's going. That's disgusting. So... I don't know whether you guys have any other funny things that you've just observed driving past people, but I could not. I was distracted on the road because I had to just take it in. I was like, I've never seen this before in my life. Sam, it's either I mean, going this... all through the car or it's going in your shirt and shit, and it's going to be like, you know, the feeling when you've had a haircut and you're in your shirt that you got your hair cut in and it's real itchy. Yeah. That's disgusting. It's funny you bring that up, actually. I was driving to work on, it would have been last, like late last week. I pulled up the lights, looked over, the girl next to me had the mirror down, doing all her makeup, how kids in the back. But I can kind of understand, but you've got to be like, you can't tell me you haven't got enough time to shave, like, before you leave for work. That just seems like poor planning on, on that person's behalf. That's got heaps of Mr. Bean about it, Mitch, <laughs> when he's... When he's late to the dentist and he's brushing his teeth and he's spinning out the window, just shit like that. But look, shaving—that's oh, hair gets on me when I'm shaving when I'm in the bathroom. Like I think how this person has done it when they're in the shower or when they're driving—it's yeah, it's beyond me. But yeah, no, that's um, that's disgusting. Off the back of that, what's the difference between texting and driving and shaving and driving? Is there like a big difference there, you reckon, or? I suppose you could probably still keep your eyes on the road while you're having a shave. Yeah, that's true. You you look up as opposed to looking. Yeah, that makes sense. But hang on, how, like, let's, and this is probably different for me given that I shave when I'm trying to keep my moustache clean. <laughs> um, 
Don't you want to be looking at yourself or, like, looking in a mirror whilst you're shaving so you know where you're getting instead of, like, I don't know. Maybe that's just well, we all know that you love the reflection in the mirror more than anyone else does, Sam. Um, but I think I think you can go off feel, especially like Sam. He's he's not using a razor. I need to stress that. Um, he's using a weed hacker. So I suppose he's probably just he's probably just giving himself a trim. He did have a beard. You know, he's not he wasn't clean shaven. It was more just you know, I think he was going for more of a clean look rather than a scruffy beard. But I just think there's better places to do it. That in itself even means that it takes less time to do if you're doing a rough, quick cleanup. So you at can home. home. If you were doing a precise clean shave where you've got to get every hair, then I understand. Well, no, sorry, no. I, <laughs> I, I would understand that more. Um, and my last one. This is more just. I'd like to hang a bit of shit on each other. A take on the podcast that you think is the worst take in the podcast history. Now, I think there's a cl pretty clear-cut one when talking about what athlete would be the best across multiple sports. Um, Sam mentioned Tom Brady. Just an all-time shocking call there. Tom Brady can't run, can't jump. He can throw. So, I mean, probably... Maybe shot put. Um, I'm trying to think of other sports. Javelin. Uh, oh, I think that cuts it. Oh, he's a handy golfer, I do believe. But, I mean, so is Steph Curry. So, um, I think Steph Curry probably, that's an easy one off the bat. But, uh, yeah, do you guys have a take that you that you would describe as the worst take in the podcast history? Well, I mean, I'll be the first one to rebut. That stuff. I mean, I know I weighed into his golfing ability in and around that space. Um, there's plenty of throwing sports that I'm sure he would prevail or reign supreme at. Um, Sam, I'm happy to I, I didn't really have um, European handball in mind when I was talking about the different sports that they might be good at. But if you want to go down that path, I'm happy for you to do it. Yeah, that's where I was going. Um, but, uh, yeah, in and around that space... I'm happy to, to own that that might have not been the uh, the most outstanding call, but two that I have in mind, um, the second best McDonald's menu item I don't believe is the frozen Coke. Um, and, <laughs> and, and I don't believe that, that rice paper rolls should be discussed as potentially the best hot food item at a, at a party. I knew you were going to say that. You, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's all right. I got two as well. When you said there was an obvious one, Mitch, the first thing that came to mind for me was James Brayshaw. <laughs> yeah, that James is pretty Brayshaw is absolutely not in the top three commentators. And the other one was, I think, was it you, Sam? Someone, maybe it was X. Someone in that first ever episode picked the Chicago Bulls to win the. Uh, it was Sam. To win the championship this year. It was Sam. They're the two that come to mind for me. To be fair, was looking for value. <laughs> However, I will cop it. I uh, I only really just wanted that to happen so I could hang shit on the two of you and no shit would get hung on me. So that, that really went perfect. I think drafting-wise, Tom 
definitely struggles a bit. Tom... It depends on what the draft is on. Tom definitely lives in Tom's world, and <laughs> I think often when we do a draft, doesn't think about the general... Like, the likes of the general public and the listener. He just... He's in Tom's world. He knows what Tom likes and can only go off what Tom likes, which... I mean, props to you, Tom. If you like a frozen coat, you can like a frozen coat, but I'll take my fries and pick three, I reckon. I think I think with the frozen coke, I'm, uh, you know, I, I kind of was looking, I went straight, like I didn't really get frozen coke because I go to McDonald's, but I was kind of just thinking, what's the most, like what's the most thing McDonald's is famous for? And that was just the first thing that came to my mind. So that was just a bad pick. Uh, yeah, I'll own that one. You said, like you say that you tried too hard to get fancy with it, Tom. You were saying that you knew that you could get a good burger in the second round, which means that you didn't think you didn't think that that was going to get to the second round. When I think Sam, I'm not speaking just for me, but I think you could have had that with the ninth pick, Tom. I was going to say, Tom, I could tell you for free, I would not have picked a frozen Coke above a Mighty McMuffin, a Big Mac, and or a McFlurry. Tom, I actually think I actually think your first pick in the draft was the worst of your three picks. What else did I pick? A Sunday and a quarter pounder. I, I would have, in terms of, <laughs> it's a shocking draft, but in terms of, like, if we look at those menu items by themselves, I think without where he took them in the draft, I think the frozen Coke is the worst of those three items. Yeah. yeah look, I just, like, when I thought of it, fries and frozen Coke were the two things that came to mind, and I went frozen Coke first. I don't know why, I just did. I don't think it gets forgotten. I never actually drafted rice paper rolls. I just asked about them. <laughs> yeah, the fact that you asked about them as your first pick in the draft was the biggest issue. Are you sure I drafted party pies from memory? You did. Yeah, you, ended up, you ended up with a great pick. But yeah. it's just that I, the other thing was you explained, like, you think there's, yeah. an, obvious, you, yeah. there's an obvious choice here. And everyone knew you were talking about party pies and sausage rolls, and then you went, what are your thoughts on rice paper rolls? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've had a few bad drafts. I'm sure if you went back to the episodes, they wouldn't be only two bad picks. I've had a couple of stinkers, but um off the back of that, that is a great discussion. And and again, off the back of that, if you haven't seen our TikTok video of Tom's absolutely outstanding and entertaining introductions to our podcast, um, go and check that out at our TikTok. It is punting fantasy podcast. Now it has been an absolute pleasure presenting this to you tonight thank you very much for listening we will touch base very soon keep an eye out for this weekend's selections and tips we had have we have had a rough last couple of weeks but we are looking to bounce back this week so keep an eye out on the punting fantasy instagram page thank you once again for joining us we will see you next week